So um, a place to belong, a place to know God. That's, that's the vision of our church. That's the vision God has given our church since uh, 2018. And we got a little while to experience that. And then the, then the pandemic hit. And, and here we are now recalibrating and re-examining this vision for the past, for, for last week and this week. And the thing about these two pieces is they go together so inextricably. You, you can't really take these two things apart. You can't really belong or have a sense of belonging without being known and also knowing other people. And, and so the same thing is, is true of God. And yet it's such a tricky task to know another person, much less God. Have, have you, ever, um, you ever heard somebody describing themselves? And they're like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I just think of myself, what I am is like a really patient Enneagram too. That's what I am. I just like to serve people and, you know, just do things for other people. And I, it's just a, to a fault because I'm so patient. And you know this person and you're like, that is not you at all. You're, you're, you hardly ever think you're just like blasting through life and, and you're definitely not an Enneagram too. Have you, you ever had that experience where somebody's talking and describing themselves and you're like, no, you, that is not you. And, and, it, and it brings to mind, and by the way, you've been that person talking about yourself as well. Because that, it brings to mind this thing I, I heard months ago and it's just been sticking with me and I've just been seeing it proven over and over. And it's that the idea that you have of yourself, the person that you think you are only exists inside your own imagination. That when you think about who you are in your head, that's the only place that version of you exists. And so, so then the question is then how, how easy or difficult it is to know other people, much less God, if we're all interacting, even though we're looking at one another and talking to each other, we're thinking about different versions of ourselves in our head. And some of us are unknowable. I, I, I hear stories about unknowable people, people that no matter where they go, no matter who they're connected with, no matter what group that they're in, they just can't find themselves to be known, to connect deeply relationally. And they say, oh, well, it's this community's fault. It's that community's fault. It's this person's. It's that person's. Nobody will know me. Nobody will choose to know me. <laughs> and I can remember a time in my life where I was in, a, in, a, in kind of a crucible of, of community and I felt really misunderstood. I felt really unknown. And, uh, and, and there were all these sort of variables involved and, and I was working really hard to do things that I was passionate about and to care for other people, but I just felt misunderstood a lot of the time. And then something changed, something happened in my life where I started to ask for help, for more tools to be able to know myself, to be able to understand more about who I was. 
And as that happened, there was this interesting shift, this interesting change that happened. And it wasn't that people stopped misunderstanding my intentions or who I was or why I did or said some of the things that I did, but it was that I now was able to know myself enough that I could share that with other people. And and so what happened is I found relationships that were like that, where, where there were some people, there weren't many, but there were a few people that I could trust myself with and, and that I had learned how to share myself with. And guess what happened? It really didn't matter whether some other person misunderstood me out there or whether somebody else took what I said and misconstrued it nearly as much because I knew there were a few people that really did know me and knew what I was like and knew what I cared about and knew why I did the things that I did. And, you know, it's work to do that. It's, it's work to, to know yourself and to develop those kinds of relationships. But it also seems to be one of the most essential tasks of being a human being. That if, if, if you're a person and you don't feel like you belong anywhere, like with anybody, and you don't feel known anywhere, it's really hard to move on from that and say, well, that's not important to me. I'll just live my life without those things. It's, it's really quite impossible. Like no matter what, what, we, what position we hold, no matter what ideology or version of things that we seem to care about, we want to do that with other people and we want to be known. We want to feel like that we are understood. And, and, and it's hard because of that version of ourselves that we would like to be, that we would hope that we'd be, or maybe it's a negative version of ourselves and people are seeing us better than what we really are. But the same thing happens with God. The version of God in your head, just like the version of yourself that's in your head, only exists in your head. That's the only place that exact version of what God is like exists, is in your head. So that means, what that can mean is that if you don't feel like you belong anywhere in any community, or you don't feel like you're known anywhere, that that could impact the way that you imagine God and what God is like in God's interaction with you. So if, if maybe that you have a lot of ang- anxiousness that somebody could abandon you or leave you at any moment, that might get transferred over into the version of God that is inside of your imagination. And so God might be, God might be sitting metaphorically right with you, right next to you, but you're unable to be with God because of that anxiety inside of you that's transferred to a lot of other relationships. Or you might see God as some really off and distant 
figure that really doesn't have a lot of concern for your life. And so you live your life with the expectation that, you know, all God really wants from me is to memorize some Bible verses, attend church occasionally and not swear when I stub my toe. And that's really all I should expect out of a relationship with God. Nobody in here feels any of those things, I'm sure, but I I have. Yeah, I went through a I went through a honeymoon stage with God, with my relationship with God. Anybody have one of those? I was, I was 21 and I had just given my life over to, to God and, and, and to be a disciple of Jesus. And I was so excited. I, I felt so free and so forgiven for the choices, some of the choices I had been making in my life. And I felt just really loved by God. And I was serving, man, I was just serving out of just this like endless source of energy, it seemed like. I would just go serve and I would just do things and I'd say, hey, what needs to be done at the church? You need to stack chairs, you need to roll up wires, whatever it is, I'll do it. And I found myself engaged in all of these tasks. But over time, some of the things that I had learned about relationships with other people, some of the transactional ways that I had learned relationships work and some of the shaming voices inside of my head, they started to come back together with my idea of God. And so while I had this wonderful honeymoon stage, all of a sudden, it seemed like God, again, was sounding like a shameful uh, a caretaker voice or, or somebody that didn't really approve of me anymore. And while I had been forgiven, well, since then I had sinned, and now I'm right back where I started again, and I'm really not any closer to God than I, than I was before, even though I kind of thought I was for a while. Nobody out here, huh? And, and, and it makes me think of, of one, of the, one of the prophets wrote, Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah 31. He, he writes this about this day of knowing God, of, 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 of when it would just be like so intuitive. It would, be, it would be just like breathing. And he said this, the days are surely coming, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So when I think about a place to know God, I I think about the gap between our understanding of relationship and who God is. And Jeremiah is talking about this time in which those things merge together and there becomes no difference between the two. When we, when we get to know God on this level where it's just intuitive, it's just inside of us, and nothing, nothing can penetrate that and, and, and make it toxic or, or, or make it like the frail human relationships that sometimes we experience. And, and there's something in that text that's also in this Colossians 1 text that I want us to look at because this sense of belonging that we have, because you, how, can, how can you really be known when you don't feel like you belong? It's, it's kind of a, a, a difficult terrain there and they overlap so often. And, and, and we know that we need forgiveness in our lives, in any relationship that we're in. 
We need forgiveness because we do things that hurt and harm other people. And, and both of these scriptures speak to that. In verse 21 in Colossians 1, it says this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. In your mind, God was not a friend, not someone that you belonged with, not someone that you could trust or come to with your vulnerabilities, but an enemy in your mind. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish. And for me, this part really speaks and free from accusation. That this forgiveness that is core to our Christian faith, sometimes it's all that's ever talked about in our Christian faith is so key because in, in so many relational situations, there's a limit to this. You can only be forgiven so many times. And those shameful narratives come out even in the preaching of our faith, where it's yes, up until a point though, man, like be reasonable here, right? But this is, this is not actually the picture, the imagination of God, the presence of God that has influenced the writer here that says you were reconciled. It was your mind was tricking you to believe that God was an enemy, that because you could not meet some standard that someone somewhere had put on you, that God was an enemy to fight against, to scratch out your living without. And it turns out, it turns out that God was willing to embody human flesh in the Christ and the form of Jesus to show you how dear you were, how, how much you belonged, to include you to say, look, if you have a doubt, go back and look at this. Go back and look at what I did. I didn't just say, I forgive you. I let myself be strung up on a cross and killed. So you have something to look at. That's, why, that's one of the things I love and it makes me uncomfortable in Catholic churches is they don't just have crosses. There's Jesus is hanging on that cross every single time in a Catholic church. And, and it's like, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like, uh, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I remember because my mind will play tricks on me. My mind will convince me that God is just like everybody else, that God's no better than just a regular old schmo and it's three strikes and you're out. And so when the prophet Jeremiah thinks about this time, one of, one of two, only two things that he mentions about what it's like to know God in, in this prophetic vision, one of the only two things is forgiveness. Is that, hey, you're, you are good, man. Like you can be in relationship with me. I'm not holding it against you. And Paul says in verse 23, in Colossians, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, uh, there's, there's a tone there. It's like, you know, you read an email and you're like, oh, that person was really mad and they're really not mad at all. And, and sometimes that happens with scripture too. And it kind of depends on the God of your imagination. But when I read this, I hear Paul saying, hey, the God of your imagination Remember to hold on to this idea of what God is like. 
that God is the great reconciler, the great includer, the great one who brings in things of belonging and holds all things together. This is the God that I want you to be able to remember and think about as you interact in your life and in your world and in your prayers and with yourself. That Paul is reminding us that it's our job to continue to believe this about God, to just believe that this is what God is like and then to respond in life out of that type of thinking about God. It's like with my kids, you know, they're, they're learning and they're testing to see what can they believe about me? You know, Benjamin will throw that out there all the time. He's like, you just don't want me to have any chance to play Mario. And sometimes I'll call his bluff and I'll say like, okay. He's like, no, wait, no, no. You know, because he's, he's testing it out, but he does know that's really not true of me. And, and sometimes with our relationship with God, we've got so much anxiety in our other relationships. Paul is reminding us, hold on to this, this testimony of what God is like, that you are reconciled. This is the character and the nature of the God that we are trying to get to know, that we are trying to be known by the one that accepts, that reconciles, that brings together. Because we struggle. We struggle with this reality. Because the problem occurs when this switch happens. We think that if we fail to believe that God is like that, that God ceases to be like that. Yeah, I've heard it hundreds of times from pulpits and from lay people out in the street and in the church buildings that we actually think that God changes based on what we can hold in our minds. That faith isn't something we hold, but it's actually the way we hold God. But what I've learned, this was, this was something that came through some effort, some self-discovery, and also some non-effort, some just being, some just sitting, was that I don't have to hold God for God to be God, but I can be held by God. I can just be, I can just know that this is what God is like and I can rest. The idea of Sabbath is one of the most important themes in scripture, a day of rest, a day to rest, to know that God is who God says God is. The reconciler, the holder together of all things, the one that includes and the one that says that you belong. Verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Right now, we have this opportunity in this moment where we can re-examine what our thinking about God is like, just like that version of ourselves that exists in our heads only. That that if, if we are not seeing a desire 
to reconcile, to bring together in our world, in our life, inside of us, in our families, in our jobs, in, in our country, in, our, in those places, we might have substituted a much smaller God for the God that Paul knew, for the God that Jeremiah spoke of, for this big, inclusive, reconciling God. You ever... Um, you ever had somebody think you were really mad or upset about something, but you were like lost deep in thought or you were about to sneeze or something like that? I remember when I first started preaching in person with everybody having masks on and I'm like, all these suspicious people out there just looking around, what are they about to do? Like somebody's about to throw something at me. So you see all these eyes. I remember Robert, when first time he preached, I'm like, did you enjoy it? He's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, how I felt about that because it's weird. And, and I wonder what it, what it must be like to be God with all these people hearing all these prayers all the time, like, please, God, no, don't, don't forsake me. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right beside you. I'm, I'm, you belong. I want to be with you. You can, you can be with me. And we're like, ah. To reconcile all things, including, including, and maybe for some of us today, this morning, especially our ideas of God, to reconcile those things. This is, this is the work of the Christ to reconcile those, those ideas we have of a small, petty, vindictive God with this God who is seeking to reconcile, to hold together, to heal, to restore all things. This was a mystery to the people of Paul's age and Paul's time. Right now, um, in, in, on social media in our world today, there's like this idea. It's a really cheap, distorted version of this God that, yeah, just approves of, of me and the way I do things and all that. But somehow this God hates all the people I hate still or does all, it's like this really cheap, watered down version. But at this time, Paul, the revelation of this to Paul and the other uh, male and female disciples, the prophets, all these folks that, this idea that God was not like just like a benevolent king who would dole out some grace or mercy occasionally to certain tribes and people, but that God was actually like this loving servant who would come like Jesus came into the world. This was an incredible mystery. In verse 25, it says this in Colossians, I've become its servant, the gospel's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's probably just about everybody in here, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've got in this passage, this great and powerful God reconciling, holding together all things, in all things, before all things, the Christ. And this same God mysteriously 
is in us. And, 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 that, and that the Christ in us, it, here it says, is the hope of glory. So some of us, our image of God is out there. God's out there distant, you know, just this old watchmaker just spun it out. So let's see how you guys figure it out. For some of us, maybe it's, it is God in us, but it's just this kind of little voice that just kind of tells us we're, we're okay. But this, this revelation of, of the type of God that's knowable can, can be seen and felt in the holding together, the reconciling of everything that's being brought back together that has been broken, that has been come apart. It could be seen in the cosmos, the, the earth and the universe working and spinning, this God's activity. It can be seen also inside of us in some type of mysterious way. And that makes me that gives me a desire, a passion to explore knowing that God more. When, when, when I can have the clarity of thought in my mind that God is not petty and vindictive, that God is saying, you better figure me out. You better know me. You better understand. You better hold all these right ideas in your head. But instead that there is this mystery of this Christ, this reconciler, out there and in here, and that there is a hope for glory inside of me, inside of you, inside of us. You ever find yourself settling? You know, you settle for the, you know, the smartest guy or the cutest guy in a group, but there's only like five that you're choosing from, right? Are you you settle and say, well, that's the, best, that's the best job I can get for now or the best, uh, you know, best kind of food I can, I can deal with or best most amount of exercise I can do in a month. You ever settle on anything in life, anybody out there? I do, I do it every day. Some things, you know, it's just life, you settle. I, I, um, I'd been settling for dealing with a lot of allergies for a long time. And I didn't know how bad my allergies were. And I finally, I'm turning 40 this year, I finally, in a few months, went to uh, an allergist and um, took a test. And while I was there, I heard these sort of shaming voices, I'm wasting time, I'm wasting money. It's probably just all been in my head all this time, like some people have told me or hinted and or laughed at me when I was feeling certain things. And they draw this uh, chart on your back, you know, and, they, and then they prick you in, in this, these columns. It's got letters and numbers. And the nurse was like, now you may start to feel some itching in 15 minutes. The, the test will be done and the doctor will come back. If you do start to itch, you know, don't, don't scratch it. And she had maybe done like three pokes and my back was on fire, itching so bad. And by the time she was done, I was just like gripping the chair because I wanted to scratch so bad. 
And so then here comes the doctor. She comes in. She's like, okay, let's see what, whoa, okay. Well, you've definitely got some allergies. My back looked like a, like a map of like the Smokies or something. Found out I was allergic to oh, a whole lot of stuff. 80% of the stuff that there is to be allergic to. And I'd been living with that. I'd been limping along with that. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I finally have this treatment plan of immunotherapy. I have hope for something more out of my physical health and the volatile things that the changes of seasons has done to me since I was a kid, but getting worse and worse. And it reminds me of the, the text that we read earlier in the service from Jeremiah 2, 8, where the priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. That maybe we're settling. Like maybe we're settling with God in different ways in our life. Maybe we've determined the God of our imagination is really what God is like. And so we just are settling for that type of interaction or that lack of interaction with God that maybe that's the best there is. What we got, maybe that's just all there is. That's all that's available. Or, or maybe it's like that's the best that we can do because that's some people are holy and have this awesome connection with God, but not me. That's the best. I'm not holy like, like somebody else is. Or maybe it's a question of worth. Maybe they feel like that's all we deserve is that kind of connection with God. We're not good enough to get anything more than what we got. In verse 28, Paul says, he is the one we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, I'm encouraged by the idea of mystery as, and we're closing here. I'm, I'm encouraged by the idea of mystery and that there's some kind of hope of glory that maybe I don't have to settle the way that I thought I did. And maybe just because it takes effort to put into a relationship belonging and knowing, that doesn't mean it's not a task worth doing. It's an unavoidable task in my life to know where I belong, to know other people, to be known, to know myself. That's what we're here to do. We're here to do those things. And, and Paul is so energized by this in, in this last verse where he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me to do that, to present us as mature and having wisdom and doing these types of things in the world, this, this energy, this agent of reconciliation working inside of him to make people wise in this way. I mentioned this uh, uh, earlier in the summer when I got back, I didn't, I didn't share a lot about it at the time, but um, I, I went on this silent retreat and part of it was to, to, to know myself more. It was a, like a day and a half retreat. And we've actually got some schedules, some, some dates on the book for next year for us to do that uh, as a church. Uh, and we've got two different dates. So if there's, if there's families and they will send one person and then the other person can do it like that. If you've got uh, kids at home, just 24 hour, we'll call it a quiet retreat. And I went on this retreat and I knew that I was gonna experience some anxiety when I went on this, this retreat. I knew that was inside of me and I, and I did. 
And I also knew that I didn't want to spend that time just reading a bunch of books, but I wanted to sit with myself. And I felt really alone. And I was afraid of the aloneness that I felt. And this retreat center, it had been, it had been um, booked. And then I think the whole group got COVID. And so there was nobody at this giant retreat center uh, but me. And, um, and no, you know, of course, no, I didn't have any electronics. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have any, anything. It's left, left for myself. And I was waiting to feel God. I wasn't feeling God. And I was afraid that I wouldn't feel God. So then I got more afraid. And I don't usually journal. I don't usually write in a journal, but I finally decided to start doing some writing. And as I was writing, I found myself tending to my insides, tending to who I was, paying attention to what was going on and swirling inside of me. And I started to feel the presence of God in that. I started to feel as that I cared for myself as I looked inside of me. I found that I could feel God. I could feel God here. I could feel God saying liturgy together with you guys or coming to the table or serving or doing those things. But I also found an incredible source of knowing God by tending and caring for myself, the mystery of Christ in me. I wasn't looking up scriptures. I wasn't doing any of these things. I felt the presence of God as I tended to myself. There is an idea of you, and there is an idea of God, and those things can increasingly be more and more reconciled to know the mystery of Christ working in you, working in me, working in us. Let's pray.